Well, good morning, church. It is a joy to be able to open God's Word together. Today we are going to continue our series through 1 Corinthians. We were in chapter 8 last week, and uh, or in chapter 8 two weeks ago, and uh, chapter 9, verses 1 to 14 last week, and this week we're in chapter 9, verses 15 to 27. It's been a healthy discipline because some of the topics that have come up in terms of, of our approach to expository preaching, it's not the most relevant topic in terms of what's going on in society, but still the Lord challenges us to find truth and to apply God's Word to us. And many times when we really prayerfully consider the Word of God that He has chosen for us, there's a lot of application. And so this is a long passage, so I want to jump right in to the text Today are, we are, uh, I want to entitle our time together, this engagement, Forfeiting to Win. Yeah, that's a play on words, Forfeiting to Win. The title is obviously making a play on a sports terminology where in the world of sports, when you forfeit your right to compete for victory, you are voluntarily taking a loss. That's a loss in the win-loss column. But when it comes to our gospel mission, this morning I want us to see that sometimes we need to be willing to forfeit our rights, our Christian liberty, rights that are given to us so that God will use us to win. But what are we seeking to win? We are to win people for Christ. So sometimes we need to forfeit our Christian rights, our Christian freedoms, so that we could be used by God to win people to Christ. And what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning are three reasons. Three reasons that the Apostle Paul provides for why he forfeited his Christian rights. And so if you have God's word, please take it and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're picking up in verses 15 to 18 for point number one. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Give you a moment to pull that up on your device or to turn to the pages in in your uh, copy of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Point number one is the first reason why Paul was willing to forfeit his rights was to exemplify self-sacrifice for others. To exemplify self-sacrifice for others. Now in verses 15 to 18, this is a perfect opportunity to give a quick paragraph review of last week's sermon. Last week we saw that Paul, he had the right to receive financial compensation for his ministry. In fact, he spent 14 verses giving an, an argument for why pastors who are faithful to the Word of God and faithful in character deserve to be paid because they have put their full-time labor into the work of the ministry. But he then began to state why he himself chose to refuse to forfeit this right to be paid. And so in verses 15 to 18, Paul elaborates further on why he refused payment. And so we kind of explained this last week. But if you look at verse 15, Paul wrote, But I have made no use of any of these rights, and obviously he's speaking specifically to his right to receive payment, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So he's not asking that they would provide him with money for himself. Though we know that Paul uh, was fundraising on certain occasions for the poor saints in Jerusalem. But then he says in the second half of verse 15, For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now, something is, is pretty interesting here in the original languages, and I do wish that the English would bring it out, but it doesn't, is that Paul kind of, he loses his thought midway, or he interrupts himself. And so what you see is he says, for I would rather die, and then he kind of just stops talking on that topic. That's like if you're, if you're in a conversation with someone, and mid-sentence you change subject. For I would rather die, oh, wait a minute. Let me change subject. So he says, for I would rather die. And he doesn't tell us what he means by that. 
than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. And so the English translations kind of put that together for you. But he doesn't finish his thoughts. So what we understand is that Paul's talking about how he, why he is uh, willingly forfeiting his right, and he's getting emotional. And his idea is that he would rather die than lose the opportunity to lead someone to Christ. He would rather die than to be accused or to give the impression that he's preaching just for the sake of money. And I'll explain to you once again the context of that time and why he, he would do this. But he changes topics. So when he's talking about grounds for boasting, that's talking about a different topic. He's talking about having a, a healthy confidence in being able to say to any skeptic or accuser that he preaches the gospel for free. And so you, we got kind of got to connect this. So look with me at verses 16 to 17, where we get a little bit more clarity. He says in verses 16 to 17, he says, For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do this on my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. So let me make this very clear for you. In verses 16 to 17, he's talking about grounds for boasting to the Corinthians. To the Corinthians. And that's a different topic. He's talking about his stewardship. But in the first part of, or in the first part of that second clause when he says, for I would rather die, he's talking to the unbeliever. That's what he's talking to, to the, to the topic of the unbeliever who does not know him. Okay, so um, let, me, let me break this down for you a little bit. Last week we explained that, that Paul traveled to all these Gentile towns where the gospel was not introduced yet. Christianity was a brand new movement. People had not had, had not had heard of the church or the gospel ministry. So as he's sharing the gospel for the very first time and introducing uh, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to many of these uh, Gentiles, who would some of them would become believers? He knew that in these Greek cities they were filled with different itinerant uh, teachers and preachers of all persuasions, and many of them were preaching for money. They were preaching different religions, different cultic religious truths or ideas that they claimed to be true. And we see this today in the example of the prosperity gospel preachers. We referred to that last week. We also refer to these prosperity preachers as health and wealth preachers, people who wanted to toy with your emotions to get you to believe in some religious idea so that they can gain some type of financial benefit from you. And so Paul did not want to put any type of stumbling block before any of these people who had not heard of Jesus. And so that's why he worked hard to make tents for a living, and he wanted to provide the gospel for free. And so in that sense, he's saying, I would rather die than put a stumbling block in front of people who have never heard the gospel. I'd rather die than to, than to, to lose the opportunity to have them be converted to Jesus Christ because they stumble thinking that I want their money. So that's the first part, which, which once again, I wish the English translations would have done a better job of making that clear to us that Paul broke his thought midway. But when he talks about the ground for boasting, he's talking about stewardship. He's talking about stewardship. So let me explain this to you. Paul here is explaining what motivates him to preach. There's something that he doesn't want any ground for boasting because he's not doing something, he's not doing something voluntarily. And so that gets really confusing. So actually it took me, I think, quite a while to really uh, kind of understand what he's talking about. He's, he's kind of saying, in one sense, I'm not doing this for pay, Corinthians. On the other sense, I don't want you to give me credit for volunteering because I'm not a volunteer. Okay, so you get that. Is that, there, is that if you do something good, if you do a good work, if you serve God and you're paid for it, which, I mean, many, of, many pastors are paid today for their ministry, someone can actually say to you, well, you know, I think you're just doing it because you have to do it. 
because you're paid to do it. Or if you do a good job, then someone can say, well, you know, you're doing a good job because you're paid to do it. But then let's just say that I volunteered and I took a secular job and then I volunteered and preached and counseled. Then actually a lot of you can give me a pat on the, you know, I can give myself a pat on the back. You guys could praise me actually. I could boast and I can say, look, I'm a volunteer. I'm doing this for free. I'm serving out of the kindness of my heart. I'm not getting any paid for this, any pay for this. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying in one sense, I'm not, I'm not receiving pay from you. In another sense, I don't want to boast as if I'm volunteering because I'm not a volunteer. I'm under compulsion. And so he's, that's what he's saying. So let, let me, let me uh, read this to you once again. Okay, he says in verse 16 to 17, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting because I'm not a volunteer, even though I'm not getting paid for it. He says, For necessity is laid upon me, meaning I'm not volunteering. I have to preach. I have to. Woe to me if I do not preach. I'm not a volunteer. Don't give me that credit to boast upon the fact of giving you charity. For if I do, for if I do this on my own will, then I have a reward. You see what he's saying? He's saying, if I'm simply just volunteering, then I deserve a reward of being able to boast. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Now, you know, many of us, we think of rewards. Paul's saying his reward is his stewardship. His, he's, not, he's saying, I don't have rewards. I don't get payments. I, I'm, I don't want grounds for boasting. Now, this, this is beginning to get very convicting. Is that he is a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what is he saying? When he says, I have no, when he says, I have a reward. So yes, Paul believes in the eternal rewards given to him in Christ Jesus. But eternal rewards are not the point here. Paul's point is that he doesn't preach for rewards. That what motivates him is that Jesus Christ has called him as an apostle. Sent him as an apostle. That he has to answer to Christ. And if he causes anyone to stumble... He needs to answer to Christ. If he causes the unbeliever who has never heard of Christianity to stumble in some way, even though it's technically not his fault, because they think and perceive that he's preaching for money, he has to answer to Christ. He's a steward. It's not about rewards for him. And when he calls the Corinthians to give up their rights, and they say, well, what about you, Paul? And he says, look, I've already given up my rights. The fact that he's able to say that confidently is a matter of stewardship. He's not doing it for any reward. And that kind of helps you understand now verse 18. Look at verse 18. He says, what then is my reward? What reward do I get then? I don't get rewards of money. I don't get rewards of you praising me for being a volunteer. What is the reward? He says that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. And what he's doing here is bringing his argument in chapter 8 back onto the table. And he's essentially saying, I have been exhorting you Corinthians, especially those who, of you who are stronger in conscience, and okay eating certain types of foods to withhold, to not eat those foods if it will cause weaker believers to stumble. And I am exemplifying to you what it looks like to give up your right by me, Paul, giving up my right to be paid. So he's bringing it full circle. Richard L. Pratt's a commentator, helpfully connects chapter 8 and 9, and he writes, quote, Just as Paul, 
forfeited his right to be paid so the gospel might have greater success, the Corinthians should forfeit their rights to eat meat sacrificed to idols, even though they could, so that they would not injure weaker brothers and sisters, end quote. Thus, we can see that part of Paul's motivation for giving up his own rights was to add greater credibility to what he is asking the Corinthians to do. Paul exemplified self-sacrifice for others in Christ. And that leads to point number two. You know, before I get to point number two, this week, you know, I was spending most of my time uh, preparing for Sunday school. You know, we're, we're teaching two weeks. Last week was uh, week one on transgenderism. This week is point two. That's obviously a difficult topic. When I got to the text, I said, man, this is, this is a hard text. I said, God, maybe there will be a crisis this week. <laughs> maybe there will be a national crisis and I won't have to preach this passage. Because the application's hard, right? The application's so hard. Um, in, in one sense, like I'm paid. So I'm preaching this. I'm saying Paul's not paid for his ministry and I'm paid for my ministry. And I've already told you that, that you know, it puts me in an awkward position, but we explained last week. The other thing is that we need you as volunteers. And we are so grateful for all of you. We, we don't see you just as volunteers, as disciple makers, as servant leaders. But that's all nomenclature. At the end of the day, the technical term is you're not getting paid. You're doing it out of the goodness of your heart because the Lord has called you and gifted you. And, and so you, we need so much, so many of you to serve. Yet Paul here, he's saying, you, you shouldn't boast in service. And the stewardship is not just for pastors and apostles. And so here's where the preaching got a little hard. You know, when you read this, this is convicting for me, like I said, because I am paid. Convicting for all of us. Because none of us should serve God for any reward, not people looking at us and, and you know, saying, wow, you know, that person's so sacrificial or they're so gifted. When we, we know that, but secretly in our minds, it's nice when people appreciate you. It is nice when people appreciate your labor, but Paul's, Paul's raising the bar. And, and in this context, he's saying he's not even, even preaching for eternal rewards. Now, don't get me wrong. The eternal reward is coming, right? Later, there's a prize. But here, he's saying... We have to steward the call that was given to us. Beloved, I put before you that you have a gift that cannot be neglected. You have a gift that needs to be stewarded. You have an investment that God has invested in you. He is giving you spiritual gifts, each of you different. And sometimes we have to develop those gifts. We have to discover those gifts. He's giving you skills. And you can't see, and so here's where you understand where I'm coming from. I'm coming from the text. You can't see you exercising your gifts as volunteer work, even though it is. You need to see it as a stewardship. So I ask you once again, how are you going to steward the spiritual gifts that he's going to talk about in a couple chapters from now? How are you going to steward that gift? And I think that is, this is a time for us to start all over. We need to relaunch our ministries. We know not everybody can come back right away, but those who can, how will we steward our gifts? And here's another thing that I want to challenge you with. A vibrant church is not always a church where everybody is running to meet the need. Because sometimes, even though I, I know in certain cases that's what's necessary, but sometimes when pastors get up, in, in not just our church, every church, right? It says, here's the pressing needs. And so you have all these good-hearted people saying, I can volunteer. And so you have all these people serving where the needs are. But maybe that's not where their gifts are. So in the end, those ministries become mediocre, okay, maybe stressful, maybe not as efficient. But what if a church said, okay, we have these pressing needs, but we're going to trust the Holy Spirit. Oh, Hanley, are you going Pentecostal on us? No, not this morning. But I do want to invite you to consider the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when pastors say, here are our needs, and people begin to run to sign up. And then after 
the, the need is met, that ministry dies, everyone's like, okay, we're done now. Because they were just running to the need. But what if we said, Lord, we do have needs and we're going to trust your spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives and calls people with gifts. And what if people actually served where their gifts are? It would be easier for them. Example, what if I told you there's all these needs in administration? So instead, I'm going to do Excel files and paperwork and you guys preach. One, you guys would say, Hanley, you don't even respond to your emails on time. You don't even know how to use an Excel formula. It's taking you three weeks to do one file true. You're wasting your time and you should be preaching. You see what I'm saying? What if, rather than running to the needs, what if we stop seeing ourselves as volunteers and we start seeing ourselves as we have to serve? Not where the needs are, but where there is a stewardship. We are compelled. Woe to me if I don't exercise whatever that gift is that God has given to you. And imagine that church. That's a vibrant church where everybody, it's you're, where you're serving, it's easy for you. You're thriving. And eventually, needs get met. Just a challenge for you. As we come back, we get to start all over. You can come through a, a, a simulation, discover your gift, develop your gift through training, ministry training on the discipleship pathway, and then you can be deployed along that pathway into the area of ministry where your gifts are. Just something to think about. Point number two, before I keep preaching a one-point sermon, point number two is to win others to Christ. So point number one is that Paul exemplified the self-sacrifice because he had to. This was his stewardship, but he also wanted to make an example to the Corinthians okay, of, of, of why they needed to sacrifice for each other. Point number two is to win others to Christ. Why? Would he forfeit his rights? Point number two is to win others to Christ. This is verses 19 to 23. And what he's talking about in 19, verses 19 to 23, before I read any of it, I want you to understand, he is not talking about compromising doctrine or character. He's talking about what Dr. Esau Macaulay, an excellent New Testament scholar, refers to as missional flexibility. Missional flexibility. Others refer to this as cultural adaptability. If, if you've ever supported a missionary, if you've ever prayed for a missionary, if you've ever even read a missionary support letter, or if you, if you yourself are a missionary to a foreign nation or a church planner to a foreign culture, this totally makes sense to you. You're willing to give up certain rights. You're willing to dress a certain way. You're willing to learn a language. You don't need to learn that language to be a good Christian. You don't need to dress a certain way. You don't need to eat certain foods, but you do so. You don't, you don't need to invite certain people into, in, into your homes and, and practice certain customs or, or when you enter into someone else's home. You, know, you follow their customs. Why? Because you want to win them to Christ. You don't have to do any of those things to be a Christian. There are also things that you, you won't say or the foods you won't eat. It's, it's called cultural adaptability because you want to win people to Christ. Same way, even if people are already won to Christ, if you want to disciple people, at times you need to give up certain rights that you have. Sometimes this is hard for Americans to understand. So I'll come back to this so I can preach and then you can fire me. Okay? Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Can I put in an application here? You know, during COVID-19, I've seen some Christians, some Christians just, I don't understand. So stubborn, saying, I have my religious freedom, so I'm not going to wear my mask. But what if someone said, hey, uh, I want to hear the gospel. I'm not a Christian, but I need you to wear a mask. And can you sit at a table six feet away from me? Would you do it? Would you do it? What if the unbeliever said, hey, how come 
So they don't understand any theology. They, they don't understand, the, you know, trusting in the Spirit. And, and they're saying, how come some of you who are conservative in doctrine refuse to even wear a mask? See, see they, they don't understand that these are unbelievers. It's cultural. Paul would probably say, look, I come with unveiled face, but I'm going to veil my face <laughs> for the sake of, of if I can have the opportunity to win a hearing with the unbeliever, then I'll do it. You can see why I didn't want to preach this text. <laughs> because there are some things that arise from it that convict the life out of us as evangelicals. I'll go on. He says, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Verse 20, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So what is he saying here? He's not saying that he's subjecting himself back to Judaism, but what he's saying is as an ethnic Jew, Paul appealed to the unbelieving Jews as a Jew. So if he ate with Jews, he even though he could eat all of this wonderful, these foods that Gentiles ate, if he wanted to win these Jews, he would what? He would follow their customs. He would, he would put himself back under the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. He would, he, would, he, he would say, look, it's not sinful for me to do the washings, to, to do the ceremonial laws. That's not sinful. I mean, this is Old Testament law. I know it doesn't save me. That's the difference. I know it doesn't win righteousness points with God. But if I want to share the gospel with Jews, then I'm going to go along with it. Now, you know, Paul was the one who argued that you don't need to be circumcised, right? So why did he have Timothy circumcised? That's, when you understand that, that is painful. You know, Timothy's a, a man. Now, if you don't know Timothy... Timothy was, uh, I, I, I want to call him hybrid, but that's not a right way to, to refer to, to someone. A hybrid is a vehicle, right? But he's not, what, what do you call it? Anyway, the, the, the word is not coming to my mind right now. But, he, but he's half. He's half Jewish. And to the traditional Jews, they would see him as, as not acceptable. Especially he was an uncircumcised, uh, half Gentile, uh, half, Jew, half, half Jew. Okay? Uh, so Paul says to Timothy, uh, since you are gifted, and since I see a lot of fruit in you, uh, and, and you're going to travel with me, and I'm going to take you with me, and we're going to go into Jewish homes. And I actually looked up why uh, they had to be circumcised or why certain Jewish people uh, didn't, did uncircumcision. Right? It's because in Roman culture, and we don't do this today, please don't do this today, Okay, is that they would have business co uh, conversation, they would have social conversation in bathhouses. In Greco-Roman society. So it would be very uh, clear right away uh, among men who's a Jew and who's not. So that helps me understand why it would even matter, right? Because I'm thinking as an American, like, why would you ever have to show whether you're circumcised or not? It's not appropriate. In fact, you end up in jail, right? But so I guess back then, socially, it was very evident. And so that might be true of Jewish men. As as Timothy is going along with Paul to minister to gospel in maybe certain social settings with other men of repute, Timothy had to be circumcised. Well, that's painful. So Timothy willingly was circumcised. Why? To be a Jew. To the Jews, he was a Jew. Because he traveled to Paul. So that the, because if these Jews looked at Timothy in these social settings that we don't practice today. Right away, they're like, we're not listening to you anymore because you're not circumcised. You're an outsider. You're a Gentile. You see, so the reason I share that with you is because that's the perfect biblical illustration and example of what it means to be a Jew to the Jews in order to win the Jews. Timothy being circumcised, even though Paul argued everywhere else the circumcised, circumcision is no longer necessary. So to those under the law, I became as one under the law, 
though myself not being under the ceremonial law, that I might win those under the law. Now look at verse 21. To those outside the law, so to the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law. So when Paul was with, in, in the book of Acts, when he was with the Gentiles, he was having a blast eating all types of Gentile foods. But remember what happened? Peter was having fun too. Peter was like, dude, I, I've been missing out all my life. And so Peter was eating all this food and enjoying all this Gentile food, pork and all this, fried stuff, shrimp, fried shrimp probably. And then so when the Jews came, then Peter retracted, right? And what happened? Paul rebuked him. Because what happened was that Peter broke table fellowship. He broke, because back then, fellowship, uh, when you had a meal with someone, it, it, it conveyed fellowship and communion. And so Peter broke fellowship with the Gentiles. He stopped eating with them because he was ashamed because these Jews began to judge him because Peter was a Jew. And Paul rebuked Peter to his face and said, that's wrong. That's not in line with the gospel. Don't break fellowship. So to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law eating the foods that I was permitted, that I could eat in my Christian freedom, not being outside the law of God per se, but under the law of Christ, which is the new covenant that I might win those outside the law. So he wanted to win the Gentiles, so he's going to eat with them. So you're beginning to see Greco-Roman society, how they conducted businesses and bathhouses, uh, how, how they, were, they prized sports, and how even in, in Jewish cultures and in Greek culture, how they uh, would have deep conversations and, and share deep friendship over food and communion. And then in verse 22, to the weak. Now, he's not talking about the weak like myself. Like, I'm not that strong physically. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a skinny boy, right? He's, he's not talking about that type of weakness or strength. He says to the weak. And what he's talking about, the weaker of conscience. To the believer who has a weaker conscience, who stumbles easier. So I will explain what that is in a moment. That I, I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, again, missional flexibility, cultural adaptation, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in the blessing. So to those who are weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. Let me give you some application. A weak might be someone who they came out of a certain lifestyle. So even though Christians maybe, let's just use one. You're at a wedding or you're having dinner and you're an adult, you're a mature adult and uh, it's not a sin for you to have a glass of wine, okay? Or it's a toast with champagne. So you do it. But you're sitting with maybe a brand new Christian or a Christian who came out of an alcoholic background. So for his sake, you're, you're going to say, okay, I'm not going to drink in front of you. Or maybe ever. And so you're forsaking your freedom because this person is weaker in conscience, uh, maybe there, there's someone that you're trying to evangelize to a Muslim, someone from a Muslim background. You don't need to order pork. Okay, your point of going to lunch, maybe a vegetarian, someone's vegetarian, and you want to share the gospel with them, not the gospel of why uh, meat is important in life, but, you know, they're vegetarian. So your idea, you, you're saying, of course I'll go to lunch with you, whatever restaurant you want. Okay, whatever restaurant you want, because your idea is not really to enjoy the food, right? I mean, hopefully you pretend you enjoy the food as you, as you eat your salad or whatever, but your main purpose is not to have lunch. Your main purpose is to have the relationship so that maybe God would use you to share the gospel. So in that sense, if, I'm, if I have the opportunity to share the gospel with a vegetarian, I'm going Someone says, hey, I struggle with same-sex attraction. Will you have lunch with me? Yeah. Let's have lunch, okay? And um, during lunch, we won't talk about that. You know, we're going to talk about the gospel at first. So these are some examples. I'm talking all about lunch and food. And I, I mean, so I, I know that we can't all do that all the time uh, inside restaurants right now. But soon, soon it's coming. It's coming back where we'll... Uh, eventually be unveiled, right, once again. But to the weak, I became the weak. But this applies across the board. There are certain things that you can say that would cause people to stumble. 
right? And, and there are certain things that you shouldn't say. Uh, and I'm not talking about ungodly things, but there's certain topics that when you talk about it in front of people, it causes them to stumble. You might not want to talk about it. Okay, so weak here refers to the context of Christians who are weaker in conscience. They can't handle certain things. They would stumble easier due to their past life or their weaker conscience. Now, in verse 23, Paul refers to the blessing of seeing the fruit of, of uh, self-sacrifice and of, of, of gospel uh, self-sacrifice and of gospel growth. And so in, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 23, let me, let me uh, read that to you by way of transition. He says, I do it all. I'm all things to all people. Cultural adapt adaptability, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. So his blessing, his reward, is going to see people grow in Christ, people come to Christ. And that leads to the third reason. The third reason why Paul forfeits his rights, point number three, is to exemplify self-discipline for God's mission. To exemplify self-discipline for God's mission. So, very clear that his illustration is about self-discipline and self-control. So, look with me at verses 24 and 27. I'm going to read to you the entire paragraph, then we'll give the background. Verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, in a competition, everyone should run, but only one person wins. So, run that you may obtain it, meaning the prize. You should run with a target. You shouldn't run aimlessly. You should run the win. Verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. That was the, the, the wreath crown that they wore back then. But we, an imperishable crown. Verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself be disqualified. So one commentator explains this original context. He explains it so well. Let me just read it to you. Okay, he says, quote, The Corinthians loved athletics. They sponsored the biennial, biannual Isthmian Games which were second in importance only to the Olympic Games. They held these games only 10 miles from Corinth. So most people in Corinth would have been familiar with the goals and the practices of these games, these um, Isthmian Games. He says the Corinthians would have had the opportunity to observe these games with their very own eyes. And Paul was in Corinth around AD 50 to 8052, so history tells us that Paul himself would have been present for the Isthmian Games held in the spring of AD 51. The Games included six events. Many of these are athletic competitions that we uh, have today. Wrestling, jumping, javelin, th a discus throwing. So that's four of them. And then there's two that Paul employed as illustrations, racing and boxing, racing and boxing. Now, uh, when I when you tell me think about boxing, I think about boxing up books. He's talking about the one where you use your fists and you dodge and you hit Muhammad Ali type of boxing. Okay, so that type of boxing and racing. He's not talking about car racing, uh, rice rocket racing, but he's talking about um, basically running. Right. So when it came to the Olympic Games, competitors were required to train for at least ten months before the games in order to qualify for participation. So it's possible that a similar requirement was exi existed for Isthmian games. So you're talking about extreme discipline in diet, ext extreme discipline in terms of physical um, training, which, would, which may explain Paul's references to strict training and disqualification. So winners received crowns either of pine, so that's the wreath made of pine, or of, of celery, <laughs> both perishable uh, materials and maybe edible, <laughs> but but that was that's the background. So having this background, the illustration becomes pretty clear. That Paul's uh, he's talking about now taking the example of physical discipline 
and he's applying it to the greater mission of, of that would require some spiritual discipline. He he compares the spiritual self-control and spiritual discipline re- required for God's mission to the physical and mental discipline required to compete to win in athletics. So what's the prize? The prize, once again, is to win people for Christ. That's the prize, is that he would win people to Christ, that he would accomplish his stewardship, the call that was given to him. And he's saying... Every Christian must finish the race by the Spirit's power. And so that race is the race towards becoming Christ-like and achieving the Great Commission as well. right? We don't run aimlessly. We run towards Christ and we run towards His mission. We don't box aimlessly, meaning you don't swing your arms in the air. We swing at a target, trying to hit that target. And so in verse 27, when Paul, when Paul says he disciplines his body and keeps it under control, some of your translations have uh, somewhat of a literal translation, and sometimes they make it a little bit more uh, literal than it needs to be in this context. They say, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So then there's some people who are saying that Paul actually trained so hard that he's using this illustration that what he would do to himself, uh, not literally, is that he's saying, I, I swing so hard training that I punch myself. So almost like, boom, 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 boom. Like, like, you know, you hit yourself because you're swinging so hard. You're fighting so hard that you end up throwing an entire blow to your body. Or that, in tra- or that in training, you inflict your own body. Meaning, uh, in, in, in training as a boxer, you practice punching yourself so that you bear pain. That's what some people would, would, uh, would, would read. And the, and the NIV, the NIV, translates it in that way, unfortunately. What I appreciate about the, the, the ESV is that I do believe the ESV has rendered this rightly in terms of giving us a clearer understanding that fits the context. The ESV says, it doesn't say, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. That's the literal language of the NIV. Instead, the ESV says he disciplines his body because that's the point. That's the point he's making. He disciplines his body and keeps it under self-control. And this would fit the illustration of, of an athlete not eating junk food, controlling his diet and disciplining his body and working out and going through the, 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 the training process so that he, would, so that he could win. And so the, so the idea of, of, of winning is, is that um, uh, the idea then next of, is he's saying he doesn't want to be disqualified. This is similar to, to not standing the test. And I believe uh, Paul is providing a real warning here. Uh, first, first, I believe that Paul does not want to stand before Christ on the day of judgment and it be revealed that he was unwilling to give up his rights for the sake of the gospel. Okay, He doesn't want to go before God and God say to him, Paul, if you would have just given up your freedom in that moment, this person could have been won over to Christ. I don't know if many of you guys play sports, but I, I remember if, you know, if I play sports, especially you know, in running, you always think, what if I just push myself a little bit harder? Would I have, have uh, won the race. Um, sometimes if you train, you're like, what if I just trained a little harder? What if I just pushed myself to exhaustion? Would I have won? So I want you to take this now and I want you to think of your rights. There's a lot of rights that you have as a Christian. A lot of freedom. Sometimes your freedoms are actually imported from how you perceive your American freedom or just your freedom of will or your freedom of yourself. But just think, if I would have allowed myself to become a little more tired, if I would have opened up my home a little more maybe, you know, so post-COVID, if I would have um, gave up a few more of my comforts, would God have used me to win someone to Christ? You have a really difficult person. (laughs) If I would have been a, a lot more patient and gave a little bit more time, could I have been used by God to win them? Maybe you're discipling someone or you're trying to minister to people. What if I just gave up a little bit more of my Christian freedom? See, what Paul's saying is that when he, when he gets before God, who gave him the stewardship, he wants to be able to say to God, blood, sweat, tears, I left it on the field. I left it on the court. I left it all for the sake of the gospel. He was willing to die. So his point is, if I'm willing to die... 
Of course I'm willing to not eat meat if it, if it causes someone to stumble. If I'm willing to die for the gospel, of course I'd be willing to, to wear a certain type of clothing or not. Or wear a mask or whatever or keep my distance. If I can, if I can win a hearing with an unbeliever. Lord, if I could just work a little bit harder, if I could just give a little bit more, I don't want to train so hard and then to be disqualified knowing that I could have almost won. Right? And obviously his desire is to win the race for Christ. What have I won? I think that's the first point. He's, he's tying back to his own idea. And disqualification doesn't mean loss of salvation. And I don't think it means loss of reward here. I believe that disqualification is in its context. It means that you don't want to train so hard for the race then it's time for the race or it's time for the boxing match and, and the judge says you're disqualified because of some reason. Right? You've disqualified yourself because, because you, 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 uh, you either uh, broke the rules, you did something wrong, or you lost. You didn't stand the test. He wanted to leave it all on the field. And number two, I think he's warning the Corinthians towards personal idolatry. A lot of times our comforts is actually our idolatry. A lot of times, what we say is our freedom is actually our idolatry. You see that more, right, in this last year. That a lot of times, people weren't willing to give up certain freedoms, but it, it revealed certain comforts that they that had come into become idolatrous. Certain ways of life that actually aren't essential. And so at the end of the day, there are, there are things that he's warning the, the Corinthians. How do we know this? Look at the next verse, chapter 10. Chapter 10, all the way down, and I'm not preaching this, promise, but in chapter 10, he's actually warning the Corinthians based on the lessons from the Old Testament saints who wandered around in the wilderness complaining about their lack of comfort and falling into idolatry and turning away from God. And he's warning the Corinthians that if you're not willing to even sacrifice some of your freedoms or your selfish desires for the sake of a weaker Christian or for an unbeliever, it might reveal an idolatry. And that idolatry might reveal for some unbelief. So he's going there in chapter 10. And so two things, right? That's what he's, he's saying. One, he does not want to stand before Christ. And then to it be revealed that he, because he was unwilling to give up his rights for the sake of the gospel, then the more people weren't won to Christ through him. He wanted to say, I was willing to die, and if I was willing to die for the gospel, then I'm willing to give up some freedoms. And then secondly, he wanted to warn the Corinthians. Richard Pratt, once again, he sums up all of 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 9 perfectly when he says, Quote, in order to encourage the Corinthians to forfeit their rights for the sake of other Christians, Paul described his entire ministry as one of sacrifice and accommodation to others. Once again, this is convicting for me because I know I'm not willing to do certain things. I'm not willing to do certain things. I'm not willing to, you know, give, give up certain things uh, for anyone and everyone. Right? I, sometimes I can. And, and so this is convicting. It's been very challenging for me to get the courage and confidence to even preach a passage like this. Because I know it's hard for me to apply. But I think this is where we need a journey together. We need a journey together to say, what rights are we willing to give up if God would use us? What Christian freedoms are we willing to give up? How would we be willing to make ourselves uncomfortable, put ourselves even at risk reasonably for the sake of winning others? And that leads to the big idea is that we don't always have to forfeit our rights, right? But we, well, uh, this is not the big idea, but sometimes we need to not confuse religious liberty and religious freedom with Christian freedom. We can't confuse that. They're both good, but there are times where we need to remember what true Christian freedom is. So the big idea is that Christians should forfeit our rights when, so not all the time, but when it makes us more effective for Christ. That's the big idea. Christians should forfeit our rights when, on the occasion, that it, when it makes us more effective for Christ. But we know that 
Paul the missionary followed the example of Christ. So I want to take us to Christ and end the sermon. Land the plane. What we see in Christ is the perfect application of this passage. Christ was the eternal Son of God. Christ lived in full comforts, the full comforts of the glories of heaven. But Christ forfeited his divine rights temporarily. He forfeited his, his freedom. He forfeited his comforts, even his own pride. You're the son of God and you, and you allow yourself to be plotted against, to be beaten, spit on, crown of thorns to be slammed upon you, to be accused of the, of, of the most heinous crimes and to be crucified. You would do that for people who would betray you even, like Judas. Christ forfeited his divine rights and privileges. Why? To save us from sin. Because we were the weaker person. We were the one, ones with the ultimately weak conscience. We were weak. He was strong. He became weak for us. Without compromise. You look at Christ. He didn't compromise his character. He didn't compromise his doctrine. But he was willing to be all things necessary. To be spat on and stepped on. Because he knew that the Father was using him to win the elect, to win many to Christ. So the bigger, the bigger idea this morning is we know where Paul learned from. We know who Paul's master was. The bigger idea is the Son of God forfeited his rights so that we could gain the right to be sons and daughters of God. Once again, the Son of God forfeited his own rights so that we could gain the right of sonship, to be sons and daughters of God. And so that's today's message. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us with a passage like this. It's convicting that even our volunteer work, Lord, at times can reveal that you want more. You want us to see ourselves as stewards of the gospel. Lord, that there's no ground for boasting other than the fact that we're simply just being responsible to you. Father, help us also to be willing to give up our Christian freedoms and certain freedoms, Lord, which are really our comforts, if you would use us by giving up some of those freedoms to lead others to Christ or to lead others to grow in Christ. Father, it's challenging, it's difficult. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help our church to be truly a vibrant church because we are seeking to be obedient to your word. Help us, Lord, to adapt culturally. Help us, Lord, to exercise missional flexibility. Help us, Lord, to reach others as everyday missionaries. Those who don't know you, Lord, help us to do, do so for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. All God's people said, Amen.